The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dissing with Digest, now on Spotify, so listen on Spotify. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, what a difference a week makes. So Bold and Beautiful has announced that it is returning to production ASAP, but there's already been a twist. So the show is set to resume filming on June 17th, but it has pushed the date now to June 23rd. And in the new issue, I have an interview with Bradley Bell about the plans he has both on camera and behind the scenes. So he told me they've already been busy at the set, reconfiguring it to allow for social distancing. Brad says they put up plastic dividers in the hair and makeup room and the production booth, and they're doing everything they can to ensure the safety of the cast and crew. In an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Brad revealed that they're planning to have the actors' real-life spouses or partners act as things during scenes that will then be spliced together to make it appear that only the characters we know are actually in it. I mean, it sounds clever and ambitious, and I'm so excited for new episodes of The Soap. Oh, I am too, but like, what a wild twist. I mean, I am totally fascinated by this totally unprecedented production model. And the thing I'm most curious to know is whether Courtney Hope's real-life love, Chad Duell, who plays Michael on GH, will be the body double for Darren Brooks, who plays D&D's Wyatt when Courtney has, uh, you know, scenes with his character. <laughs> um, I actually wondered that too. <laughs> you really have lots of professional partners on that cast. I mean, there's Darren's wife, Kelly Krueger, who has not only been on B&B as Eva, but recently reprised the role of Young and Restless's Mackenzie. Uh, John McCook's wife, Laurette Spang, has plenty of acting experience. Don Diamond's wife, Cindy Ambuel, has also appeared on the soap. And Rena Soper's fiance, Sandy Bookstaver, is a professional director. So, you know, there's options there. Yeah, you know, at the same time, I have to be honest, my jaw was on the floor when I was first reading about real life partners being love scene stand-ins, shooting scenes with blow-up dolls, you know, et cetera, all of the totally out-of-the-box maneuvers that are required to get B&B up and running again. Like, you know, these shows have such a fast turnaround time and they're shooting so much material in a week. Uh, it, it does seem like all this really puts a new kind of emphasis on the post-production process. So I wonder for the hour-long shows, which have larger casts, and shoot more pages of material in a day if we'll see them like quickly following suit or if they will need to take a substantial amount of time to get their own safety protocols in place and to figure out how to make everything work. 
Um, of course, I, I hope that, you know, by the time we're recording next week's podcast, we'll have news about days GH and YNR and that it will be good news. Oh, for sure. Fingers crossed. Me too. I guess we'll have to see, you know, maybe Bold and Beautiful will sort of be the model for how the other shows move forward. Now, you spoke to Adam Sharp from Natus about the Daytime Emmys, which will be broadcast on CBS on June 26th. So what can we expect to see, Mara? Well, the sense that I got from Adam is that it is going to be a more nimble award show than we are used to seeing. You know, he joked about how he and his fellow producers were sort of uh, marveling at how much time they got back just by eliminating the time it takes winners to walk up to the podium. Um, (laughs) So uh, because this year's telecast is not in person and is not live, the whole thing that we're used to of like cameras being trained on all the nominees and then the winner jumping up and getting hugs all around, you know, none of that will be part of this year's show. Uh, For better or for worse, the acceptance speeches were taped in advance and the winners will find out if they won or not when their category comes up and either it will be their speech that gets played or it'll be someone else's acceptance speech. So, you know, there will be a certain lack of spontaneity, which is kind of a bummer. But my understanding from Adam is that because this is, uh, you know, a primetime production for CBS, there were too many risks of being truly live with there being like technological difficulties and, and, uh, and so forth. Well, in our new issue, we spoke to all of the nominees for the Daytime Emmys, and there's definitely a feeling of excitement and, you know, just curiosity about how it's all going to play out. I mean, the pressure is off in a way because everyone will be at home. So there won't be that same feeling and buzz of sitting in the Twitter space and like waiting to hear your name. Um, You know, it will be interesting to see how they pull it off as well. Um, And actually, our guest today is one of the nominees. It's Teo Penglis, who was nominated in the lead actor category as Daisy's Tony. But over the nearly 40 years he's been on and off the show, he has played both Tony and Andre Demera and has certainly mm-hmm. defied any notions that death is permanent on soaps. But, you know, for some reason, it really works with his alter egos. Yeah, he's even been presumed dead and come back to life and then died again. And his other soap guys, Victor Cassidyne on General Hospital, it's, it's really remarkable to me that in the very same year, 1981, Teo had uh, a role in these two kind of similar destined to become legendary families who were global powers and then more locally, you know, stirred up enormous trouble for the residents of Port Charles on GH and Salem on Days. I really wonder what it was about that era in daytime that lent itself uh, to introducing this concept of the international supervillain and why it worked so well and stood the test of time so well, because both the Cassidines and the Demeras remain important in current storytelling. You know, that is an excellent point. And there's such a feeling of nostalgia with both of those families, you know, despite the less than above board things they do. Um, <laughs> so let's check in with Teo and see if he could shed any light on that. Hi, Teo. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's been ages since you and I have had a chance to catch up. I but know. Usually I'm writing about my journeys, but, you know, it's been a a slower year as far as, you know, I wouldn't get on a plane now, but I was going to be going to Egypt too because they were opening their new museum mm-hmm. and then go on to Jordan because I was in Egypt again last year for the 14th time. So it's kind of strange. People are saying, I've been asking why, how do I feel about not traveling, having that I do so many journeys each year. And, you know, I've been sitting around the house looking at all the collection of artwork that I have and each one has its own story. And, um, so I travel in my mind, you know. That's the wonderful thing about memory and, and having, you know, an imagination of the places that I've been to. But anyway. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. 
Well, Mara and I are so happy you could join us today. Um, so first, tell us how you've been holding up over the past few months. Well, uh, I've, I've, I had Nikki, because we had to do our speeches. Mm -hmm. So I had Lauren and Nikki, you know, my makeup artist, and Lauren Costa at my house the other day. Had a wonderful time. You know, some people just, doesn't matter how long it's been since you've seen them, they still resonate. It's like you, it's like you and I, you know, when we speak, you know, it's like I spoke to you yesterday. It's never, mm -hmm. it's never a conflict or a, so it was great seeing them. So um, I'm, I'm very careful about who I let in the house now, but it's been, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm watching, the, <laughs> I'm, I'm watching myself eating like you wouldn't believe, but the only thing is, <laughs> I'm, I'm eating things that, you know, I mean, I've got an insatiable appetite, but I, at least I've taught myself to eat in a healthy way and, and in a lean way, but, you know, I like to cook, so I've been doing that a lot. I bet it's very yummy. <laughs> well, yes, uh, I made my um, muscle soup last night and cabbage rolls the night before and uh, grilled fish, and I, I've had one piece of meat all year. Wow. Mm. I just felt like you know, a steak. But, and I haven't been going to the grocery store. I've had things basically delivered, but sometimes you have to get out. But thank God my house is such that I enjoy the, the, the atmosphere I've created over the years. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, a special way for me, you know, because it, I, I, it, because I always think of, of the way it, it registers with me because it's a success mechanism. It reminds me of all the things I've been blessed with and, you know, going to all these countries with all these different cultures, you know, and you come back with that knowledge and, and you incorporate that in your work, in your life and, uh, in, in, and in writing as well. And, and so I've a lot of, you know, history to that uh, I've built on as a foundation that, that uh, I don't get bored, you know. Uh, I've never thought, I think when people say they're bored, I think, no, you're boring. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. I love that. <laughs> I think I haven't said that. <laughs> I, I, I'm uh, confident you have. <laughs> have uh, well, Teo, as you know, we are coming up uh, right around the corner on the Daytime Emmy Awards, which are going to be broadcast on CBS on June 26th. Congratulations to you on your nomination for Outstanding Lead Actor. Oh, thank you. I, you know, that was a surprise because uh, I'd finished with the show in the fall, last fall, and because I've been in vignettes, uh, which sometimes I don't understand why a character who is the original Demera has sometimes been sidelined. I've been told that my character is too complicated. Uh, some people like complications and others find it complicated, if you know what I mean. So, mm -hmm. um, so it was a nice surprise because I had only d uh, did about uh, less than 50 shows last year. And so to have chosen at least one show, and I thought, well, I'll just put it in. I wasn't going to, but it was, um, it was one of those shows where I thought, well, I'm going to do the whole show and make it complete in the sequences so there's a story to tell rather than vignette. And I think that paid off. I think because people follow it better than just, you know, well, what, what is this scene about? At least when you take them from the beginning to the end, there's a through line, there's an arc. And that way people can grasp onto stories. 
how you tell a story. And so I had it edited in a way to tell a particular story. And I think that that worked because it had a lot of wonderful transitions in the scene, scenes. And also he was, uh, the character was rather Machiavellian. So uh, and then, you know, you put it aside. But, you know, I thought, you know, when I got a call, I was quite surprised. But, you know, nicely surprised. And, you know, I like the character. That helps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so did you submit a Tony or an Andre? I submitted a Tony. Okay. And uh, it was with um, Ariana. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a, a little bit of, of uh, Eric Martok in it. But uh, basically it was, it was classic Tony Machiavellian. You just never knew at every turn where he was coming from. So that's how you keep the intrigue, as we know. And, um, you know, I remember that week when I came back, I had to do 11 shows. And that was one of three shows I did in that day. So it's wow. all rather surprising, uh, that the results of it. But, you know, it's, it's nice to see that the, that the uh, other actors have been nominated a vet. Because mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. see that, mm-hmm. you know, the leading categories. I mean, occasionally you see some of the younger ones uh, that are trained, um, like Billy, you know. Um, but I thought, you know, well, this is a nice group of actors. And, and so anyway, um, it was a nice surprise. But I don't know what it is. I think in many ways when people have been nominated for many years and have won many, turned, uh, many uh, Emmys, especially shows, um, not so much actors, but shows and directors and makeup and things like that, they kind of take it for granted and the, and the glamour and, and the spotlight of what it represents somehow fades. And I found that because I'm a long-distance runner in my life, that most of the things that have happened to me have not been an overnight success. They take their time, and that's why there's a kind of resilience within myself. Um, I wasn't an overnight success. But, um, you know, those, are one, uh, who, uh, those of us who have been nominated never won. The idea of winning as a long-term uh, reward for having persevered this many years of having to learn that much dialogue and that much kind of pressure, it really gets to be, in a, in a sense, you look at it and you think, because, you know, your family will remind you, oh, an Emmy, but people have won it too much. They've become rather smug about it. And I'm thinking, you know, you've really lost touch of what the meaning of this is. It means excellence. It means that you did something well that year. And I just wish people wouldn't just the next day forget about it and it was, you know, whatever. So for mm-hmm. me, uh, it registers in a different way. It's still a bright spark and um, it's something worthy. And so um, it's the only thing that I don't have in my house, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it would look great in your house, Al. <laughs> Everything else is here, um, except there's, there isn't an Emmy and... and um, you know, Days was not always registered in, in Days when Joe and I, you know, I mean, Joe Moscola never got nominated. And you think all those years we did some really good work. To your question, it's, it's a nice, it was a nice surprise. Well, Teo, you've, you've been a, a fan favorite among our readers for such a long time. And we wanted to go back to the beginning of your daytime career when you actually made your debut in this genre as part of the legendary Cassidine family on General Hospital in 1981, and you were part of the storied Ice Princess saga. So tell us your um, your General Hospital casting story. 
Well, um, you know, it was during the strike. I just finished doing the movie Altered States, which really went well for me with Ken Russell and Bill Hurt. And I was going to be doing uh, Man for All Seasons at the Amundsen with Charlton Heston. And then I was told, you know, what the money was going to be and then the strike. And I thought, no, I, I need to make some money. And so suddenly I was introduced to Gloria Monti, which is quite an event in itself. And... Um, <laughs> And I remember Andre Lanzart, who was, and, and John Colicos were the other two brothers. And this was going to be the big hot story for the summer with Luke and Laura. And so when I, when I auditioned, she thought, well, foreign, you know, the way I sounded English, we don't have English sounding actors in daytime. So they, they, but they went with Andre Lanzart, who I thought had an accent. And then because he was not a particularly strong actor, they, um, thought, well, he's the weak brother. We need to bring a stronger brother in who's more ambitious. So that's where Victor came in. So she rem she remembered me. So she brought me in and she said, darling, she says, um, uh, this is, she explained what the situation was going to be. It was going to be a three-month gig. And suddenly I get my first day of dialogue. And you have to remember, you know, 20 pages in one day was not something you sort of looked at and thought was possible. So I remembered the patience she had with me because I could, she would say to me, just do one passage at a time. I'll cover you. She was so uh, embraceful. She saw something within the character that she liked, and she was a, of great support. And I found the best way of handling Gloria Monty was ignoring her. Because everybody <laughs> wanted to, you know. She would come down to check on everybody, and I'd always ignore her. And she, that would make her curious. And then she'd come up to me and she says, are you okay, darling? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. Are you okay? She says, yes. I said, okay, I'm just studying my lines, thank you. And I would just go to my lines. So I remember one day I, I, I was uh, with, with the actors and we were talking about our plan about the Ice Princess and how we were going to take over. And there was Tony Geary. He was on our ship. You know, we were rich. So Tony Geary was standing there uh, by the door and as a butler, and we're talking about our plans for future conquering, you know, poor Charles. And I looked up, and I was only there five days. I said, excuse me, I said, you know, I don't know how anybody else plans anything, but uh, why would I have a butler sitting there listening to our plans? And, then, <laughs> and, and Tony Geary jumped up with his fist in the air, says, we have a, oh, I was about to swear, uh, <laughs> an actor on set. And then I remember Gloria Monty walking down out of the booth. That's a long walk. The director put his hands in front of his crutch like he thought she was going to cut them off. And she said, he's absolutely right. Get Tony off the set. Just to finish off the story, John Carlicos, who I, was, I just loved, um, Andre Lanzart was called in to see Gloria. The stories were over. And he went in and, and she says, he says, she says, I'm sorry, darling, but the storyline's over now and you're going to die. And he says, well, what about my fan? And she's off oh, your fan. And she walked out. Started, he started crying. He says, you're next. And so I go in and she says, so hello, darling. So what's it like to be the only character out of the 30 we hired for the summer? You're going to be staying on for us. We want you to stay. And I said, oh, okay. And he says, we're going to put you in prison for a couple of months, and then you're going to come back into the story. And I said, oh, okay. So I come back in, and Andre says to me, so where do you finish? And I said, no, I'm staying on. Well, you know, he just became um, just miserable. Uh, but uh, then Pat Falcon Smith uh, wanted me on days, and so that's how she pulled me. And, and, and I remember Gloria Marty said to me, get out of daytime. 
She was very complimentary, but she's, she's, she got really upset that I didn't stay waiting for And I ended up going with Pat Falkensmith for days, and that's how it happened. Mm-hmm. Well, at the time that you were on General Hospital, could you ever have imagined that that story, The Ice Princess, would be one of the most iconic storylines like ever told in daytime? Well, you know, when you think Liz Taylor came on board, you know, when you saw the caliber of work and you saw the sets, everything, I mean, the money was ruthless in those, in those days. The amount of people that would watch the show, the, the specials they would have in bars, uh, pizza and, and a beer or whatever for lunch uh, and watch General Hospital, you know, it was quite something. And then you go out to Chicago and there's 18,000 people there. You know, um, no, when you're in things, you can't see them. You know, it's mm-hmm. the pity sometimes because maybe we would have changed things in a better, better way. But, you know, that's the thing, the experience in life. We, when we're in them, we can't see it. And then when it's over, that's when we appreciate or not appreciate what, what took place. And, um, but, you know, I, I, having been part of the Cassidines and then being then starting the Demera families, so I kind of got into two iconic families that I enjoyed. Yeah. And, you know, that, 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 that I liked because um, it's part of the history of daytime. Mm-hmm. And when you've been in it as long as I have now, which is 38 years on and off, there's a lot of wonderful history and a lot of things that have built the foundation where where I am today. You know, that's why I always thought of myself as a long distance runner. And, um, you know, I said in one of my speeches, I said, you know, we must never judge a person by their peak of excellence, but by the distance they've traveled from the point where they started. And mm-hmm. so it always, to me, is, you know, the journey, um, it's never over. It, it continues. Uh, that's if you're curious. You know, a lot of people get retired early, you know, and then suddenly they're bored with their lives, they're bored with what it is they're doing because it becomes mundane. But for those of us who remain curious and see there are so many different aspects of life that we still haven't embraced. And that's why, you know, having understood other cultures expands that imagination. And so people need to travel more instead of sitting on their couches watching television. Hi, Dishing with Digest listeners. It's a great time to prioritize you and commit to staying on top of your health. And a great way to support your health is through taking vitamins. The vitamin aisle can be overwhelming. It's hard to know what you need and where to start. But if you're looking for an easy change, Care Of can make taking your vitamins and supporting your health goals attainable. Care Of makes buying the right vitamins easy. All you have to do is go to their website and take a great little quiz that asks you some health questions and what your health goals are. Care of will create a personalized packet of vitamins for you. It's hassle-free and you get a vitamin solution that is just for you. Care of's new line, the Skin and Hair Collection, helps you work on your beauty goals from all angles with a combination of targeted ingredients for hair, skin, and nails. I took the quiz and was impressed by how easy and quick it was. And my personal recommendations were vitamin D, rhodiola, and keratin. Care-of is focused on quality science and research that goes into each of their products. Their vitamins and protein powders are made of real ingredients you can recognize, like organic cocoa and pink Himalayan sea salt. For 50% off your first Care-of order, go to takecareof.com and then enter the code DISHING50 
for 50% off your first Care Of order. Again, all you have to do is go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code DISHING50. That's D-I-S-H-I-N-G-5-0. So tell us about how Pat Smith did lure you over to Dave to create the role of, of Tony at that time. How did she well, you know, lure us? She, you know, she wrote me as Victor Casano, and she liked it so much. She thought, you know what, I'm going to do the Demaris, and I can see this man being part of the, this particular family because there was ethnic. And let's face it, when I arrived on Days of Our Lives, it was all very Anglo. And suddenly, you know, this European guy with an Australian accent comes on board, and oh my God, I never got so much bad attention in my life. It was not an embrace. It was like, who are you? And what? And the way I was dressed, or the way I sounded. Um, some actors were things you don't forget uh, because they were your beginnings. The person who embraced me the most was Gloria Loring, because oh. when I tested, still had to test with four other actors. Gloria Loring came and said, "Him, him." And so when I met her, we 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 um, we got along really well. But Pat Falcon Smith. You know, I was, she had such an imagination. And, you know, she said to me, I want to bring your father in, and he's got to be a real powerful. I said, you know what? There's a guy in my class called Joseph Moscolo. He would be great as my father. I've worked with him, and he's, a, he's Italian, and we've been trained by the same teacher. And so therefore, six months later, Joe came on, and, and the Demera family began. And, and uh, thank God that, you know, we had the strength we did because the Hortons in the, at the time, you know, they were very like, you know, this is a white show. And we came in and, and, you know, and I remember the clothes I was wearing. They weren't used to colors. I mean, the cobwebs were still on the wall. <laughs> so I remember I, I was the first actor to, to wear a tuxedo with a black shirt with a black bow tie. So it was all, all black. And I remember being called in the booth. And I'd come from studying fashion in New York with Melodandre. And Melodandre, uh, we did all the Godfather movies. We did the wardrobe for all of those. We did major with their clothes and everything. And, and so I'm being called in. And, of course, you know, I was, uh, I was rather arrogant in those days. <laughs> called me in and they said, what in hell are you wearing? I said, what do you mean? She said, nobody wears that. It looks like you're going to a funeral. And I said, well, this is what I'm wearing. And they said, no, you're not. You're going to change it into a white shirt. I said, no, I'm not. And I looked at their clothing up and down. And I said, and who chose your fashion? <laughs> okay. And then I, you know, after I was voted best dressed for two years in a row, uh, the minds changed. But I remember being called in because I was wearing a blue shirt and a pink tie. And they tried to tell me men don't wear pink. So that will tell you what I came into. And because I was European, I thought, no, I'm not going to lose that identity. And so, you know, Joe and I always dressed up. Everybody else was, you know, in their T-shirts and, you know, just a shirt. But Joe and I always dressed up in a suit. So the Demeras, as complicated as they were, they were diverse, but they had, a, uh, they had style and they had a lot of passion. And that's mm -hmm. what was exciting about establishing that, you know. But in the later years, we started to get 
the mixture of Anglos into the Demaras because of other marriages, and I just thought, oh, they, they've lost the seed. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us what comes to mind when you hear Joe's name, and what was it like to know him so well and work with him? Um, because we both were very professional when it came to our work, we always knew our stuff. Sometimes, um, you know, he would do things like slap me, which was not in the scene. And, you know, he had hands of a, of a gorilla. And <laughs> so I remember a couple of times where he slapped me and I saw stars because he didn't wow. like the way I spoke to him. Wow. <laughs> and that, you know, the son spoke to Big Daddy in that tone and he just slapped me. And I would go, whoa, that was, ah, oh, I catch my breath. But I remember wiping it off my face, the slap, you know, this is how, you know, let's face it. They, the reason that we sustained is because we gave them stuff to write about. We didn't, you know, the, the actors have to go beyond the writer. Otherwise, the writer's going to say, well, what's next? You know, it's always coming from their imagination. So you have to feed the writer. And Joe and I did that because we were coming from a bigger world and because we were trained, you know, right up to that point, still in, in, in our adulthood, we were still going to classes. So we came in as the actors. Everybody, you know, after a while, actors become kind of semi-retired, get used to the roles, but Joe and I never did. Joe and I were always on our toes. And I remember one day, I had a three-page scene where I told him off, basically, and he turned around to me and he said, I don't like this scene. I want to cut. And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, what do, you, what do you mean, no? And there's the director trembling. And I <laughs> said, I'm not going to change the dialogue. Why? Because he says, well, you don't talk to me like that. And I said, Joe, I'm an adult. I'm not like some teenager talking to his father. I'm an adult. I have opinions and I'm not changing it. We get paid very well. And he says, why am I some... Then he went on loud and screaming. And I said, Joe, you can make all the noise you want, but nothing's changing. So let's do the scene. That's what we get paid for. And that's how we worked. And so, you know, but in the last days, I had a brother-in-law who died of Alzheimer's and because of Joe's condition, and he was losing it, and he was losing his patience and screaming. And I remembered how I treated my brother-in-law, and I found a way of getting in because... When you have Alzheimer's, you're not going forward, you, you're going into the past. And so what I did with Joe, when nobody else could control him, and they're all nervous with him, I put my hand on his, and I rested there for a minute, he just looked up at me, and it quietened him down, and I said, oh, Joe, do you remember all that great work we used to do together, and how wonderful it was to be a Demera? And it just sparked a bright light in his face, and he goes, oh, yeah. Yes, I, wasn't that wonderful? We had all those wonderful years, and so it took him back. And because of my brother-in-law's situation, I was able to take Joe into a place where he was comfortable, so I took him at that particular spot, which was to remember something well done. And then when we finished, I said, okay, let's do the scene like we used to. And therefore, that's how I got him to work with me the last month or so. Oh, and wow. That was a very poignant you know, it got me emotional. And then the people in the booth were emotional and they came out, how did you do that? And I said, knowledge is very important. I said, 
like knowing what people go through, that you don't dismiss them or you think they're being difficult, they're being a pain in the ass. You look, it's a vulnerable situation. It's a human condition. It's prevalent in our society. And I said, and when I've worked with that man for that many years, and he's played my father that many years, I said, kindness was not expensive. And I had to, I had to bring the dignity back that he was, he was losing because he couldn't control himself. So my last days with Joe, even though on the last week I walked into his dressing room and I said to him, hi, Joe, how are you doing today? We've got a few things we've got to do. And he's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I kissed him. And, and as I left, he says, who was that? Mm-hmm. That was the most painful thing, uh, I think, that, hap- that occurred after those many years of, of how you know, intimate we were together as, as father and son. And so... Um, so it's not like he's gone because he, he remains in my memory very strongly. And But um, I'll I, I tell you a quick story that happened. I, I have a friend who brings in spirits. And uh, he was here um, a few months ago. And he was sitting at the table doing a reading for me. And he was telling me what was going on and everything. And suddenly he went, oh, my God, who is this person? He's so aggressive. I said, what do you mean? He says, there's some, some guy coming into into the energy here. His name is Joe, he's saying. And he says, and what the f*** have you done to the Demera family? (laughs) (laughs) That that was Joe. And I couldn't believe it because he looked at me and I went, oh, my God, because, you know, we saw what was happening to the Demeras. You know, I'm not speaking out of shop, but, you know, it's not what it used to be. And, And I just went, oh, my God, that was... Joe is still on the second plane. He's not, you know, hasn't gone into the big transition. And so I thought that was really interesting because, you know, he, it's happened because where my mother's come in and so, um, you know, about where they go afterwards. So I was very curious when my parents died in the same week where they went. And so because I also got a knowledge of that and the different levels on the other side, um, it was interesting to see where Joe was because he wasn't ready to go. You know, Joe was not ready to give up. I mean, that, that, that role that he had, you know, king of, of the Demeras, you know, Joe held on to that and made a, uh, an iconic, wonderful, iconic character. And, you know, let's face it, how many are there? Here, here. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, we can't talk about Tony without talking about the partnership with Leanne Hunley. Uh, Tony and Anna really captivated fans uh, in the early 1980s and to this day. Uh, you know, why do you think that the partnership between you and Leanne was so successful and remains so successful? Um, You know, uh, we all uh, register with people in different ways. With Leanne Hunley, um, you know, like when I talk to you, um, Stephanie, you and I talk core to core. It's not Mm -hmm. something just out of the head, you know, it's not flippant. Mm -hmm. When Leanne Hunley and I get together, um, because the way it started, because she got nervous because she thought I was going to be very difficult. And I even asked James Ryan, Reynolds one day, I said, James, in the early days, was that difficult? He said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. When, you know, I was playing two characters and 40 pages and uh, working all day and night. And, you know, I, it, it took me to the edge. So that's where the difficulty, because the pressure was on. But she, um, you know, politically and everything, we are so uh, opposite. So you don't 
how you register with another human being. Firstly, she's a wonderful human being. She's a very warm human being. She's a very ethical human being. Just her politics are not crazy about. But um, when she turned around, she says, why do I have to work with him? Because I said, well, because I think she was going to be with John Delancey and that, and that chemistry did not work. So they chose the two of us. And she goes, I don't want to work with him. It's difficult. And so I remember, because I seemed to be difficult, um, she would always, she, she'd go to me, you don't have to get that upset, you know. It's just this or it's just that. And she started to control and calm me down. And because she was also beautiful and a lot of style to her, you can't help but admire and so that when I danced with her, she moved with me. She never, you know, there were some actresses I danced with that you felt like you were lifting a log, uh, you know, trying to make a turn because they were so rigid. She was so flexible, so open, and, uh, and a lovely actress and a wonderful human being and with a great sense of humor. So everything that I was trained to be registered with another human being that was willing to embrace it with me. And, um, you know, you can't, you, you, you can't pay for that. You can't. That, that is something that's kind of rare because, you know, after all these years, I mean, Lauren Cosler and I have a good rapport. It's different, but it's a great rapport. There's no, there's no, uh, when we get to work, you know, we're pleased to see each other. We don't get bored with each other. And the same thing with Leanne. And so um, to this day, you know, and, and we go out on dates a lot, uh, uh, it's, it's a trust. And I think at the same time, um, you know, it, Tony and Anna, I felt, were a beautiful couple. You know, we were stylish. We had a certain choice of dress, and they went with that. But I don't know why. I think it was when they brought uh, um, Hope and, and Bo and Hope, they pushed that more, and we were kind of left to the side when we were a very still a very popular couple. And I don't think they – I don't know what it is, but they didn't embrace us as much. And I thought, oh, I don't know to this day why. And even though uh, when Leanne came back and, and the fans were just loving it because, let's face it, there aren't a lot of actors who know how to play or, or bring the humor to things, especially when it's not written that way. So we always found the humor in it. And, and, and also the fact that, you know, to kiss her, there's no boundaries. You know, to embrace her, there are no boundaries. And... Um, She's always happy to see me. We always have great times together. And I think we bring that to the work. And, um, and, she, and we li like our characters. That, that's another important thing in the acting profession. You've got to really love the character you're playing. Otherwise, the audience is not going to love it. Otherwise, you're not going to be having, if you don't love the character, you can't bring all the elements that surprise the different levels that, of humor and drama and, and magic and mystique. Uh, Machiavellian, all those things when you love a character are at your fingertips and I think that's what helped bring us together and why we still resonate today. Absolutely. Like, yeah, she's, she's, she's something. And, and you know, um, I, I remember one producer said to me, oh, you know, you, you two really have great chemistry together and, she, and um, the fans, I know you're fan favorites, but then why doesn't it, why are we sidelined? Right. You know, well, I need to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. We'd certainly love to see more. Well, you know, you, you see what's in focus 
And I'm thinking, what happened to the actors that were trained? You know, what happened to the vets? What happened to those, let's face it, the people that remain on soaps and, and the fans that watch is because of the vets. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, definitely. the young people come along, but these, the, the whole idea is that you register with that person. You know, even when I watch something, I see someone that I like. I mean, when I go to movies, I go and see someone because when I see them, I know to expect certain things that are going to entice in and my imagination or whatever. But you don't, you don't get that with the young ones because they haven't been there long enough to have registered enough. You know, these people want to think that their friends are, are, are their family, they are their families on television. And so when you're young, it hasn't registered yet and you don't know very much. And, um, and yet we concentrate on the youth as if that's the prize. And somehow I always grew up with the idea that the reason why we search for mentors in life was because knowledge was the, the great force. And so that's why we always respect our elders because it, it was a source of, and knowledge was important. And yet today we go for the ordinary. Mm-hmm. It's become a very ordinary experience, and life should be extraordinary. And that's why people want to watch you, because you're going beyond them. You're going beyond what they see in their daily routines. And you don't get, you know, that's why I want to sit. I would like to sit sometimes in an office and talk to them. But mm-hmm. that's the job. Right. Well, something certainly extraordinary about your experience was that in 1983, Days introduced your second Salem alter ego, which was Andre Demera. Um, so what do you remember about finding out that you would be playing a dual role and how did you react? <laughs> the reason I'm laughing is because I was the first person in daytime to have two characters. And I remembered because of the union that if you're playing two characters, that's going to pay you separately. And I remember an executive producer coming in to my dressing room while I was reading the newspaper and my newspaper was shaking. And I put the paper down. There was my executive producer saying, do you know how much money we're talking about? <laughs> and because I already played it for a year, and the union came back and said, you've got to pay him for every time he played Andre on the same day as Tony. So that wow. was like... <laughs> oh, hey now. <laughs> so that was, that was the beginning of daytime. It taught other actors and other shows on how to do it. I said, and I looked at the producer and I said, well, I'll just take the minimum. You know, if that's the ruling, I'll just take the minimum. I'm not going to be greedy. God. Wow. Oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> what were you uh, thinking? Oh, it's a whole, another whole year's salary. But um, I remember, oh, God, I was something in those days. I told the producer to leave my dressing room because I didn't like him being so greedy. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember Andre coming into the picture, and I thought, well, how am I going to play this character differently to the other? especially with the pace we were going. And I thought, well, what about if Andre is the excuse, Tony's the perfect son, and Andre is the one that never quite made it. He's the kind of person who would walk through the door and it would slam in his face or or that he would come up. He had to go into hiding, so he's playing a Shakespearean actor so that when he came off the set, half the wig was around his face. So I started ridiculing him so that there was a distinct um, contrast. And, you know, one wore glasses, one didn't wear glasses. One said Anna and the other one said Anna. I mean, I just made those little fine differences between the two and the fact that he was imitating Tony in the way he dressed because he had no taste. Um, You know, that that type of thing. And so, um, and because he was really a, a dark character, 
and also uh, misunderstood. Um, it was not always easy to make him human. It wasn't until really, um, you know, because they, they gave Andre a lot of dark things to play. You know, if you don't have a good villain, you don't have a hero. Otherwise, it'd be boring. So I think that's very necessary. But, you know, you try to come on and, and create their own canvas. And so... Do you have a favorite storyline that you've played as either Andre or Tony? Yeah, I liked when we did the fashion world with Anna. I loved all that, uh, you know, with Calliope and with... Uh, so did I. <laughs> oh, they were the days where, I mean, humor around the corner. I mean, it was, I mean, to work together, I mean, we really, we improvised at times, but oh my God, the four of us, when we got together, nobody could compete with us. I mean, we just were... You know, John had a great sense of humor. Calliope was just absolutely hysterical. And the four of us, we just all did really well. And uh, that was probably my favorite time. Um, certainly, you know, in the early years with Joe, I thought seeing him as a father figure and the way we established the demerit. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, you know, I had a lot of good things, you know, that I'm grateful for in in, in those years, but um, I also like, you know, with Lauren, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Lauren is very available, you know, and I remember we had a sequence where they came and they said, uh, well, Lauren and I are sitting in a cafe and they said to us, um, the sequence was going to go where she was going to, I'd say something about her being, reminding me of a hooker and she throws a, an ice cold martini in my face and I throw mine back in her face. And I said, I'm not doing that. I said, men don't throw drinks in women's faces. I said, oh, we're in 2019. I said, we better catch up with what, what's going on with women in the world. And they, and they said, came to me and they said, why didn't you tell us you weren't going to do it? And I said, well, I'm telling you now. I mean, who's got time? I mean, and he got the script a few days ago. They said, what are you going to do? I said, well, let's try it. Now, there was a lot of rare extras around and everything. And, uh, his, and so the producer came to me and says, he says, you've never done this before. And I said, I know. But I said, you know, I, I have high value with, for women. I had a great mother. So I said, you know, I don't treat women like they're second-class citizens. They're equal. I mean, I grew up with Greeks who looked down upon women, you know, and they abused women. And I said, I got away from that. And so I said, you know, to me, it's about we're just human beings, you know, what's the difference? She has her contributions, I have mine. But I said, you know, we're not in the Middle East. So he, so he said, okay, let's do it then. He got really upset. So I remember she threw the drink in my face. I, firstly, I say the line to her, and she throws the drink in my face. And of course, you know, I wouldn't do, uh, do it back like a cliche. So I get up and she, I grab and I kiss her instead. I, I like going opposite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I grabbed and I kissed her instead, and then she slapped me, and then I laughed. Right. So the scene became much more colorful. It didn't insult anybody. It was fun. And then did I know that the head writers were watching, and they approved it? And I remember a black man coming up to me and shaking my hand at that moment and said, may I just say how much I appreciate the way you just treated that woman. So, you know, some of us have to be examples, especially when we know better. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, especially in these days where every issue is very sensitive. 
because things have been suppressed for so long. So, you know, for the, if we can afford change, then, we, you know, we go into change. So that taught me a lesson. And the thing is, let's face it, you live long enough, you better have something to say, you know? Well, Teo, you know, you've come and gone from the show, both as Andre and as Tony, a good number of times, as we've mentioned. Uh, what, what keeps you coming back? You know, uh, the thing is, I remember Jane Fonda saying in an interview when they asked her, what keeps you going? She said, curiosity. Um, I'm going back to Egypt to see the new museum. It'll be my 15th trip because it's probably going to be the greatest museum ever built. And what's in it is just uh, unbelievable. Um, and because, and then I was, I'm going back to Jordan and go to Petra. So at this stage of my life, what keeps me interested is that I don't know enough. I haven't seen enough. And, um, you know, it's, I have to be an example. I mean, I found mentors in my life in men and women as I grew because I didn't find them in Australia. And they're so important. I mean, there's something about ancient history, even Alexander the Great and his mentors. People are always looking for mentors. When you see young men lost, they're looking for mentors. And then, you know, there's not enough around who do it. And, you know, I, I mentor like my nephews, for instance. They come and see me twice a year. They want to sit here for a month or so and just talk and get what they don't get from their father because their father's not supposed to be a mentor. It's their father. So they come to me. So mentoring is very important. So the more I attain, the more I understand, the more I can be an example, um, you know, because life is about becoming. And then one day you realize you've become who you are. And that's why now I see my friends because all my older friends are gone. So I'm now the eldest, and I look at my younger friends in, in their 50s and 60s, and I thought, oh, that's it? That's what they've become? You know, they didn't, you know, it's like people who find about their health and happens in their 60s, suddenly they want to become healthy. You know, it's, being healthy is, is, a, is a long journey, like anything, and attaining knowledge and everything. You, it becomes a lifelong experience, and that's how you build, and that's why there are stages of life, and that each decade has a pronouncement of, of what you stand for and then you go to the next decade and so as you as I've gotten to this stage in my life I realize I like what I've done you know and back keep coming back today it's because there's still this stuff there to do to say to experience mm -hmm. well it's been nearly 40 years since you made your debut on days you've certainly come and gone a lot but you still are a days of our lives superstar and legend so what would you say your day's legacy means to you? Oh, God, you know, um, someone said to me from Australia, oh, my God, there's the icon. And, you know, it's kind of strange to me to even see myself that way. But, you know, I've, I've played a lot of different things as those characters. They weren't, I, I never found them boring. They were never boring. They were always uh, ahead of the game, not because they were written that way, but, you know, a journey coming back from a journey, you know, um, feeds me and I come back and I say, ah, I can put that passion into that character. So um, I fed that uh, through, my, through my curiosity. And, you know, as you say, while you're in it, you can't see it. If you live long enough, you can turn back and you say, well, I think I made a difference. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there 
who have liked the characters because um, it's like when I put something on Facebook or I tell a story, I just don't show the photograph or I give you the history of it. And, and it could be, you know, five, six, six lines on the subject, but it allows the people to get a better idea about what I just saw. And people appreciate that. It's the same thing in the way I played the character. It's not about being ordinary. And, uh, you know, to me, life is extraordinary. And um, those of us who settle, I just want to say not good enough, you know. Um, but I had hard teachers, tough teachers, you know, who would insult you or tell you you were being, you know, an amateur, you know, like I was told in the beginning. I had nowhere else except to go up. You know, and so um, loving something is important to its longevity. And loving something uh, gives it a light in which people then pay attention to. Mm-hmm. As whether we see it or not, something is a brighter star than another. And why? Because it resonates in a way that makes you feel like you're involved in something special. So, you know, it's like when I feed people, you know, people will say, well, uh, how do you live the way you do? And I said, you know, it's all through the cooking. Because to me, the the one thing I don't have to ask anything about is when I cook for someone or people, I don't have to say, oh, what's it like? Do you enjoy it? Is that, do you like the taste? I, I can taste it, no. And so by by doing that well, it then resonates into other things being done well. That's why I say do something, one thing well, and you'll see that other things will follow suit. And so, therefore, you know, I think uh, uh, coming back is, is another layer. Life is about, you know, having layers. And I think every time the characters come back, there is another layer. And so you have to, you interpret it at the stage you are at that particular time in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly sounds like you've embraced yours. That's good uh, advice to live by, frankly. Um, and... We thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your stories with us. Oh, well, you know me. I like, I, I like telling stories, and um, it's, it's one of those things that I like doing uh, when I do my one-man show. Um, uh, I, I like orators. I like people because of my family. My uncles came telling stories and were great speech makers and all this. And to me, it's about, you know, there's so many great stories to tell. And, and I forget that they're there, but thank God there are people around who listen at a dining table and they never leave. It's a watering hole. We sit around, we tell stories. And, and uh, that's the great thing about getting older, the wisdom that comes with it, you know. And certainly best of luck at the daytime Emmys. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, and... thank you. Nice to talk to you both. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Teo Penglis for being our guest. If you like this podcast, we're on Spotify, so listen on Spotify. Please pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.